y'all to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We are your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I am your co-host, corporate trainer, prepping for the as of yet undefined next phase, whatever that looks like, Katie McDonald. And here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, stop begging for a promotion, start selling your genius, who's been Abby normal her whole life, Heather <laughs> MacArthur. <laughs> I'm so glad you get that reference. And I just for those who were too young to even remember Abby normal, but um, <laughs> young Frankenstein was like my, I remember every year. It would play on like, I don't know, KTLA network or whatever for you, Angelinos. But um, I would get so excited that it was playing. And I don't know why, but I loved the character who, because this is the kind of mistakes that I make where he's like, he gets the brain and he's like, what brain did you get? Abby normal. <laughs> Abnormal. Um, and because of my attention to detail, like slacks off in terms of like editing and stuff. I'm like, I am truly the spirit of Abby normal. So here we go. <laughs> but that lends itself to adaptability, which in turn may or may not have something to do with resilience. Uh... <laughs> That's true. And so I love that today uh, we're going to be, as always, walking through strategies and attitude changes and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your career, which I think honestly, a lot of people are facing now more than ever. And um, making sure that we help people understand how to make this career situation meaningful for them. And so today, I, Katie and I thought would be great to just kind of talk about as states and counties around the country are lifting some restrictions and everyone tries to figure out how to take the next steps into the future. We wanted to explore how to approach this new landscape um, with resilience and resourcefulness. And how do they help you? Or how are they different? How, how do you master both? And I I think it's a huge topic, especially if people are being furloughed, laid off, um, or inundated with a, an insane amount of work um, to kind of take up either because the business has just been booming because of the situation or because others are not around and they are having to carry the load for everybody. I am so excited to dig into this today because this is one of the few topics we've broached on this show where I have zero idea what we're going to talk about. I'm I'm totally going into this blind and I'm very excited to find out what the definition and difference between these two things is. Well, I love like welcome into how I I exist in the world. <laughs> I, I go into all things blind. <laughs> Which to, I'm excited to get into the resourcefulness of that. <laughs> um so I want to start off by asking, like, at the top of the show, we're talking about how important this is right now. Uh, Heather, why do you think the concepts of both resilience and resourcefulness are so relevant in this climate of either overwork, underwork, waiting for work, trying to figure out what the hell is going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, I honestly, I, I think the I think the word that throws us off the most, because I, you know, it can almost seem like, well, it's self-explanatory why, why those two words are so important. But I think the biggest thing that I, I think is catching people is this idea that we tell ourselves that there's such a thing as certainty, like things felt certain before and now they're uncertain. Well, they've always been uncertain. Every time you wake up, the day is uncertain. Every time you take a step across the street, it's uncertain as to what the drivers are going to do, or if there's going to be an earthquake that breaks open the cement, you know, like there's, there's never been a time where we've been certain. It just felt certain because there was a certain amount of uh, patterns that were showing up that felt familiar. And the minute the unfamiliar shows up, we go into this, like, I always think of the ants where the rockets drop and they like, you know, lose their stuff for a few minutes and then they get back to work. Like that's kind of how humans are operating right now. And we're in the middle of the, you know, I think February, March was the complete spin out. And then the April was like, so tired of spinning out. And May is like, seriously, let's just, what are we working on? Let's move some rocks. And I, so I think that's where people are at. But the, the reality is, is the resilience of the resourcefulness, people who have been through moments where they were harshly reminded that nothing's certain, no matter what that might've been. You know, for me, it's a little bit of an uncertain childhood 
and certain traumatic events and then, you know, going through being the first round of layoffs after 9-11 and then seeing all the stuff happening in the 2008 economic downturn. Like in those moments, I, I, I experienced a lot of uncertain surprises. And, you know, in this scenario, the very I'll tell you in the very beginning, um, as a consultant, you know, you have clients that are like, I've got to postpone everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I'm in the corner sucking my thumb and, you know, <laughs> pulling on my hair and going, <laughs> it's happening again. It's happening again. I don't know what the, what the French is going to happen. And, and, uh, and then I, I finally like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out, I'm panicking and it's, oh, it's going to happen again. And then I have to sit back and go, okay, this isn't my first rodeo. Yes. It's happening again. I've been through it. I don't know what this particular situation is. But the reminding me that things are uncertain thing doesn't have to be this horrible traumatic thing. And so I go back to, we were talking earlier, but I, I, I go back to, and I'm going to, I should probably Google it and get the quote right. But um, it's, uh, I believe Mark Twain. And, you know, as we go through the show, I'll make sure I got this right. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, something like the most horrible things that ever happened to me never actually happened to me. And I think about that and when I look back at all the things that really stressed me out in life nothing ever came up as severe as what I imagined was going to happen. And what I noticed is things always got better the minute I went, okay, I can't sit here and just panic anymore. I've got to do something. So let me embrace reality. What is happening that I didn't want to see happen or that I didn't expect? And now what do I want to do about it? And the minute I did that, now don't get me wrong, in some of the situations that I was faced with, it even took years for me to get to the place of like, let me stop acting like this isn't happening. And as soon as I did that, then it invited me to be resourceful. Who can I talk to? What can I do? It invited my brain to solve for it versus the panic is there's no way I can survive it. You're telling yourself that you don't have the skills, the wherewithal to figure this out because you, the idea is... I've never seen this before. How can I possibly figure it out? But yet as humans, when we're born, we haven't seen anything, yet we're figuring it out every single day. Hmm. So you're, you're wired to figure things out. So if we trust ourselves that our creativity, this ability that we had as kids to imagine different outcomes, to imagine things that don't exist, to, to dream about what we want, even though we have no idea if it's even possible, that capacity as adults, we, we've, we've lost our connection with it. And even in the midst of this, I'm working with clients and I'm saying to them, I get it. You don't know what to expect. Things are crazy and money's tight and people are getting laid off or furloughed. But let's take a moment and just sit and go a year from now, what do you want to see happen? And, you know, there's almost like this, this moment of being offended that I'm asking them to do this. Like, why would you want me to waste my time on daydreaming while I'm in the middle of dealing with crisis? And my point is you're in a storm of uncertainty. The best way to get certain is the only thing you can control is being really clear as to what you want. And if you can get clear as to what you want, it helps you prioritize and get creative around how you're engaging with your environment because you can't control the environment. I am locked into the uh, illustration that you gave or the, the uh, mental image you gave of dropping a rock into the path of the ants. Uh, only because I think that that is so illustrative of the way I've seen in my personal experience these past couple months, myself included, everybody around me, uh, the first rock that gets dropped into the path, everybody scatters and then they come back and they form the same line. The ants go back into the same line and then you keep dropping rocks or, uh, in, my case, having uh, having had babies crawling along, around on the ground and having an ant problem back in Virginia, we would do cinnamon lines because the ants won't uh, cross cinnamon lines because what? I don't know. <laughs> it's like saging the place, I guess. I don't know. But if you put down a line that blocks the path that they were resolute on following, everybody does adapt as individuals and as a team. There is a way through it. It's not going to look the same. But there is an alternate path. Uh, And it's so interesting that we're starting with the individual, that you're asking uh, your clients to start on the individual, what do you want, and let that be the focus. And then collectively, as more and more individuals get clear about what the path is, those paths converge and are going to make what the next phase looks like. Yeah, the truth is, anytime that a company set forth or a team or a leader set forth and said, let's strategically plan for the year, 
Um, what's interesting is I find that they're only comfortable doing it if that that particular year uh, for their business felt easier or calm. And since 9-11, there's been this experience where people go, well, nothing's predictable. We can't possibly plan for anything. And the whole point was the plan wasn't this guarantee that if I set out to do this, it will happen exactly as I, I make it to be. The point of the plan is to create an opportunity for momentum, for energy, for you to be focused on something that's rewarding to you, that's worthwhile going through the fight, worthwhile taking risks on, worthwhile going through the fire. And that's what builds the resilience. You're not resilient because you sit there and you just get punched in the face over and over. You're resilient because there's a fight you're looking to win. We love watching, well, I'm assuming you love, and if you don't love watching Rocky, then I, I don't, you know, you clearly, we're not the same people, but um, <laughs> I love all episodes of Rocky, but you know, we, we watch that because we go, it's a fight that's worthy that he wants to achieve. And if you watch all Rocky movies, most of them, he doesn't win the fight. Hmm. And so, you know, usually in the end he doesn't, but he puts up a good fight. And for whatever reason, we're still like, this was amazing because he was in the fight. It wasn't necessarily because he won the championship every single movie. It's because he was in the fight every single time and he didn't back down because he wanted something and he kept going after it. And so sitting there and just going, I'm going to tread water and try to survive this is uninspiring. It doesn't invite your brain to do anything and it doesn't invite others to want to help you do it. So is that what we're talking about? Does that boil down the essence of resilience? Because it sounds like resourcefulness as you're laying it out is the opportunity to really explore your inventory. What are my other avenues of support? Where can I find more information? Where can I find... Uh, more resources to get to my goal, but resilience is that drive. Yeah. So the way I look at it is, is when you've got something that that is your focus, the thing that you're you're looking to fight for, that you love, that you're passionate about, the resourcefulness happens because one, just the act of telling yourself that it's possible will stop your brain from going, it's not possible, so why bother? And go to, oh, she says it's possible. So now I've got to get creative as to how to make it possible. Like the brain is very obedient. So if you're like, it's possible, then your brain goes, okay, what makes it possible? That door doesn't work. That door doesn't work. Maybe we create our own door. The resilience piece is your ability to weather the storm. That, that how quick do you get knocked off the idea that it's possible? If someone else says to you, well, that'll never work. And you automatically go, you're right. Then you're not going to be very resilient. Right. And then all of a sudden the resourcefulness stops. If you if you get rejected, someone doesn't want to do whatever it is that you're offering or you get shut down by a manager who maybe is panicking themselves and you go, well, you know, they're right. This is horrible. Then you're not going to get it off the ground. So you need a certain amount of resilience. But resilience without resourcefulness is just you being pushy, like you just going like I'm going to keep fighting and keep fighting. But you're not looking around and going, who could help me? Um, what oh, could I create that doesn't exist? Yeah. So you see people who, what I call, I call the resilient people, those survivors, like they, they survive the storm, but when they come out of it, usually they're more jaded, they're hardened. I know that I've gone through storms where when I came out of it, because it was all about surviving it, being resilient. And I'd say probably me in my twenties, I was extremely resilient. Like you couldn't mess with me. I was going to, you know, I was on, I was on top of stuff. I would work harder than anybody else. I would, you know, do three jobs, go to school full time, do all that kind of stuff. But through all of that, it wasn't until my thirties that I started looking around and going, there's gotta be an easier way to do this. And a big part of that was people want to help you. You don't have to do it all by yourself. And so, but you can't be jaded and be resourceful because you won't let others in and you won't dare to share your ideas or come up with new ideas and share them with others. Um, because you, you know, you just don't trust that it'll, it'll turn into something positive. So that, that, that I, I feel like sometimes people leave off the resourcefulness part of it and just think resilience. Cause you know, they've got, the, I, I think it's a great book, the whole grit thing of like, you got to have grit mm -hmm. and I get it. There's a lot of, it's almost like people kind of give, give crap to millennium millennials and, and say like, Oh, well, they're not resilient. Well, actually I think they're better at resourcefulness. Hmm. That they've been taught that they're, you know, I'm not saying all of them because everybody's got a different path in life, but that generation has had a more of a, you know, your family's supposed to be there to support you. Your, your, so your social media people are there to support you. You're supposed to be surrounded by, you know, community to help you. And, you know, when you go to work, your manager is supposed to help you. So it's an idea of 
I see uh, millennials will reach out and go like, well, how do I get that information? And other people go like, well, who are they? Like, cause you're not used to being resourceful. You've overvalued resilience. And now here's the thing is then you also see a millennial like break down. And I, I, you know, I caution to even say millennial, but you'll see people who are good at resourcefulness and not good at resilience and they lose it when someone doesn't like their idea. Mm. And so I don't, you know, let, let me backtrack on that because I don't want to put that just on. I really hate when people kind of go millennials are this way and this, cause that's not true. But I think there's, there's this, Oh, th- we've kind of come for a revolution of it's okay to be resourceful and, and, and build community. And, uh, but we can't lose sight of what resilience does for us, but they work hand in hand. That's what helps us navigate uncertainty. And they are kind of pulling from two different, uh, two different toolboxes, if you will. I, I totally get the uh, pulling from the generational differences. I was doing a disc class actually earlier this week, and you could just as well cut this along personality profile lines, where yeah. you could say there are certain personality profiles on the disc spectrum that are really great at reaching out to others, but are completely shut down if their idea isn't instantly adopted. And then there are people that uh, will soldier through and uh, and headbutt and shoulder check their way through the process, regardless of whether yeah. people are collaborating with them or not. You really help me understand what you're talking about in terms of these two balancing each other out. I'm picturing in your description of resilience without resourcefulness, just like the the T-1000 uh, coming back and back in the Terminator movies and just like yes. executing <laughs> the same order over and over again with like z- almost zero deviation. Um, but resourcefulness being the the openness to adapt and to collaborate and look to others to share your vision, which makes puts you in a vulnerable position. Yeah. And I, you know what I want to kind of tie back to? So you brought up the DISC uh, assessment model. And for those that aren't familiar, it's been around since the early 1900s. The guy who came up with it, it's a personality or actually communication style assessment and the guy who came up with it also came up with uh, the concept of Wonder Woman. So, mm-hmm. you know, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> but um, it basically shares four styles of communication and it goes off of behavior. But what I love is that because you're bringing that up, the S style, uh, I always use the example of they tend to operate when it comes to change, like the lion of ants and the rock getting dropped. Every time the rock gets dropped, they freak out and then they, you know, wrap themselves back up and then keep on moving. But then the other style, some of them are very guilty of being the rock droppers and not letting them know ahead of time. Uh. (laughs) But, um, okay, so wait, I want to come back and I want to correctly reference Mark Twain's quote. So some of the worst things in my life never even happened. And so to (laughs) me, this is, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten through something and thought of this quote afterwards and went, geez, if I would have known that it was only these two things, because there's some things that are unfavorable that happened or maybe even bad that happened, but nowhere near the amount that I came up with. I'm like, oh, how much, how differently would I have engaged if I knew that's just how bad it would get? And so this time around, when all this stuff was happening after my first initial, like, ooh, I kind of went, no. I'm not buying into this. I'm not going to I'm not going to let my ability to come up with a horror story be the narrator of this. I'm going to trust that this will not be anywhere near as bad as I can imagine it. That doesn't mean I stick my head in the sand and I'm not embracing reality, but what's funny is because I'm not panicking, I am much more willing to engage with what's the reality of information that's out there. Let me look for, you know, what are the statistics that are telling me where the issues are? Versus if I'm panicking, I can't even bear to take that information in. What you just said kind of speaks to that whole spectrum where people are talking. I'm seeing a lot of chatter right now about the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. Yeah. So, uh, no, I think that's a critical thing to bring up, too, because I think people mistake this idea that if you have an abundant mindset, that you're ignoring reality. And, you know, the, the whole like, well, it'll all work itself out. I don't need to get involved. I think that's the, that's the, I'm going to turn a blind eye. But if I have an abundance mindset, what I automatically do is instead of going, okay, all these, I'm not focusing on all the things that are missing. I'm focusing on, okay, if there's nothing there, where is something? And um, this goes back to, and I know I've referenced his work in the past, is um, Shirzad Shamin's work around positive intelligence. And he talks about 
you know, there's IQ, your ability to, to know the facts and the, be a subject matter expert. EQ, the emotional intelligence, the ability to kind of work well with others intelligently, think about how our behaviors impact others and be aware of our behavior choices. But then there's PQ, this positive intelligence, the ability to look at something that looks like chaos or uncertainty or things going wrong and to see the opportunity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think that, especially in this, in this thing of uncertainty, I remember as, and don't get me wrong, this film has all kinds of um, uh, uh, issues to it, but I grew up what, and and my, my favorite movie or my mom's favorite movie as a kid was gone with the wind. And now (laughs) as when I watch it now, don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of, as you look at it now as an adult and you're like, well, there aren't there some, some call outs to some racial inequality that needs to be, be called out in this situation. But what I remember distinctly from the film, and part of why I liked it, was not Scarlett O'Hara, not you know a bunch of uh, white people taking advantage of of slave labor, but there was this moment in there where it's it's Clark Gable, Rhett Butler's character, and during during the war where everyone's starting to like starve to death, and he's like, oh yeah, now he's become a blockade runner, and they're all mad at him because he's you know you know betrayed the the cause, and I, what I remember thinking was, no matter what's happening, he's figuring out where is the business opportunity? Hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I think you have to be ethical and whatnot. But I I remember as a little girl, I'm not saying like take advantage of people's, you know, hardships, but as a little girl, I remember picking up on that and going, be the person who's focused on what's working versus just hunkering down and suffering. And I didn't want to be the hunkered down and suffer because I saw my family kind of, well, this is the situation. This is our lot. My mom used to always say that. That's our lot in life. That's where we are. We're not we didn't get lucky with money or what support or whatever. It was always luck to her. And I thought, well, no. And this is some version, I guess, of me realizing you have to make your own luck. And I think that's where that ability to have an abundance mindset is you believe that no matter how destitute the situation, there's an opportunity. And I think that ties to growth mindset that no matter how hard the situation is, even if it just comes down to what did I learn out of the situation that'll make me better moving forward, um, that if you have a scarcity mindset, you're not going to take the time to sit and go, how did that hardship provide me with lessons that I can use in the future? And maybe that's just the way that I've been able to like manage the life that I've had is to be able to go, well, God, if I didn't go through that horrible situation, I'd be zero use to this person in this situation. And you know, no matter what, I've been able to to turn that into a livelihood. I've been able to turn what 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 I would consider um, hardships in life and in business as a way to help others. And you know, I get to do something that I love. But I, if I had the scarcity mindset, and I look at my mother who had a very scarcity mindset for all kinds of reasons. You know, I'm not I'm not blaming her, but she had that mindset. And I I remember watching how she would figure out different ways to get resources to us. And I'm like, if you just believed that there were options, you, you, you would not like she spent so much time being good at being poor. Like she was good at being poor. She survived being poor. She'd grow our vegetables in the backyard. And like, she was resourceful, not resilient. Like mm. it was, she'd be really resourceful, but the resilience was she was bitter and hardened. And so the level, I mean, this is a way to, I don't know, this is tough because she, she, when I say she wasn't resilient, did she weather the storm? She did, but she did it as a very unhappy human. And I don't know if that's what I consider resilience. Like, yes, she lived through it, but she lived a life of, of a lot of hardship because she wasn't able to sit back and go, what are those opportunities that are waiting to, you know, even believe that good things were in store for her. And to her, it was life had just taught her it was bad. And so to me, I'm like, you're not really resilient if the only way you make it through is to get really kind of negative about life in general. Like that's not going to, you're going to have a very limited purview as to what your creativity can do. And like I said, I saw her do some amazing things with our situation and my father was sick at home and we didn't have money coming in and I saw her do so many things. But what if she had believed the world was a good place? Like what would she have done with her life and her capacity to make things happen um, if she believed that the world out there was good? Fair point. There are so many people that are going to, quote unquote, survive this situation and this phase and the next phase. But who is growing from and appreciating and engaging with 
the change is kind of what you're calling out as the hallmarks of resilience. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I, as I see a lot of people, it's, and I'm talking in conversations, a large part of their conversations, when I get into these kind of team meetings and whatnot, and don't get me wrong, I get it. People need to vent, but you'll find them circling the drain around how stupid politics are right now. Don't get me wrong. I would, I would love to jump on some of those trains. I've got my own, (laughs) but how stupid politicians are and how this is, you know, you, you know, if we as humans didn't treat animals the way that we do and it, and they're just, people are idiots and why aren't they wearing a mask? And then other people are like, they're idiots for wearing the mask. And it's all this like, and they spend not just one or two comments on it, but they'll spend a good, you know, I've, I've seen, and I've tried to pull them away from it, but I'm like, no, you could go for hours. And I'm like, how much of your mind is practicing being angry with reality, not being what you want it to be. And that to me goes against resilience. Resilience is it's not what I want it to be but I am focused on this bigger purpose. And so I will continue to push through the muck until I make it what I want it to be. <laughs> and keep an open mind and attitude about it with resourcefulness. Well, so yeah. a lot of what it sounds like we're putting forward. So I, I thank you for that descriptor. It makes a lot more sense to me what we're talking about with resilience and resourcefulness and framing that in terms of a scarcity mindset, an abundance mindset, a growth mindset. We talked a little bit about uh, personality profiles and even like it sounded like touching on an optimistic point of view versus a pessimistic point of view. But the larger I, and as we're talking about this, I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate, devil's avocado. <laughs> and... <laughs> I love avocado. Uh, me too. Doesn't that sound good right now? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and ask, so are we really talking about character traits that you're either born with or you're not? Uh, how do you skill build resilience? How do you skill build resourcefulness? Mm. Yeah, I, do, I don't buy that because um, I, I feel like um, I've gone through a bunch of stages. I'd say like at four years old, I was the most optimistic, like, you know, like, well, life is beautiful. <laughs> and I'd hear my mom say all this, like, the world is a dangerous place and people are evil. And I'd be like, no, I don't believe that. And then I got kicked in the teeth a couple of times, somewhat literally and somewhat not. Um, and I, and that's what I mean by in my twenties, I kind of got to this place of like, she's right. It's a dark, ugly world. And then I, you know, I love the book, the alchemist. Cause he talks about, you know, you need, everybody kind of is combining the strengths of both their parents. And, um, my, my dad who had Parkinson's disease, the majority of the time that I was alive and was bedridden. And this man, never heard him complain about anything. He talked about how beautiful the world was, the world that he no longer got to see. Like he spent 14 years basically bedridden. And uh, the 14 years that I knew him, bedridden, you know, and, uh, you know, barely, you know, able to eat solid foods, if, if that. And I've never seen a person who just believed life was beautiful. And, and so, you know, I've, I've been trying to combine those two. And so I've, I've studied what does it take to really get in, out in front of your brain and your mind and the first thing is that I've seen as a, as a major key is you believing that you can carve out your own purpose, that no matter what's going on, that it's not dictated to you, that you go, whether that purpose is for your life, whether that purpose is what's my purpose for the year to, you know, 2020, um, whatever it might be, it's that you pick that and that then you're engaging with the world from a place of what they call, uh, which we've referenced in some of our other episodes, an internal locus of control uh, versus an external. So the key to having an internal locus of control, which means I'm focused on what can I control, and to use that is to have a goal, is to have a purpose bigger than the roadblocks in front of you. An external locus of control, which is the highest state of stress we can operate in, is assuming that there is no purpose other than survival of whatever's coming in at us. And so it's, it's, it, one, we end up focusing on the uncertainties and all the problems. So this, what I find is a huge part is training ourselves to getting good at finding purpose and calling it out and making our market going I'm, you know, it's no different than what I see a lot of people right now are doing. And they're like, do I have enough, you know, let's just say road trip wise, you know, are the tires good? Do I have enough fuel? Do I have enough this? Do I have enough this? And Oh my gosh, I don't have a car anymore. And I'm like, where are you going though? Mm. Like, where, where are you headed? Because maybe you don't even need a car. 
Like you're freaked out about not having this thing that you've always had, but I don't know where you're driving to. Like, where is it that you're trying to get? Now, if you put a stake in the, and then they say like, well, you can't really pick travel right now because who knows, who knows if that's even going to be available. Maybe that state's <laughs> not even going to be there. Then. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just, where would you like to go? If you didn't have to worry about stuff, where would you like to go? And I'm using this as an analogy to make it crystallize, but so let's go to New York. Now, if you want to go to New York and you live in New Jersey, that's a different travel plan than if you want to go to New York and you live in Hawaii. Mm. So, but you know, how do you know what you need to focus on if you don't know where you're trying to get? And I find that most people are waiting for someone else to tell them where to go. And that's where like in my book, the first thing that I have in there, the model that I have is the pyramid of purpose, your pop, like what's your pop? You're planning, anytime someone comes to me for career advice, no matter where they're at or how clear they think they are about what job they want, I want to know, are you clear as to your purpose and how you want work to support that? Because everything should be strategic that your work choices are strategic and prioritized towards the purpose that you're after. And it can't just be, I want a promotion. That's not a purpose. That's a step. But what, what does that serve for your, your greater purpose? Like, how does that feed the life that you're trying to live? Then we know what kind of risk for you to take. Then we know what kind of um, position sets you up to support that and how much effort and time you want to put into that. Uh, without that, you're just a hamster on the wheel trying to get cheese that someone else said was important. And so even in this midst, I mean, people are getting laid off. People are getting furloughed. I do not like that is triggering our survival, survival instincts more than anything. So of course we're going to, can I just eat the next month? Can I pay my rent? Um, I would dare people that even in those situations where you're panicking about just physical survival for you to engage that frontal lobe of your brain that is nowhere near as strong as the survival instincts in the, in the, in the back of your brain and to go, <laughs> I'm going to take five minutes every day. And I'm going to focus on what do I want? I'm going to give myself permission. I'm going to tell myself that taking five minutes out of my day to give myself permission to go, what do I want to see in my life and tell myself that it's possible, even if I don't know how to make it possible right now, that just the fact that I can think it means that it's possible invites your brain through the rest of the day to look at the world through the lens of, but how does that help me get what I want? I'm glad you brought it back to pyramid of purpose because the, the analogy that you are setting forth makes a lot of sense in terms of have a destination in mind, be aware of where you're starting from. You talked about, are you starting, are you getting to New York from New Jersey? Or are you getting there from Hawaii? Really take stock and take realistic inventory of where it is that you're starting from in order to get there. It sounds like it's a, it's an important part of how to practice your resilience skills and your resourcefulness skills. Because like you said, you don't know what uh, what travel tools you need. What is your mode of travel? Who do you reach out to to start this journey? Do I have to buy a train ticket? Do I have to buy a car? What am I doing? Well, and that's where I'm glad you bring that up because like when I do strategic planning with people, they want to go to let's assess what our current conditions are and then make a plan from how to make that less crappy. That's most strategies are built that way. Let's make the current situation a little less crappy than it is right now. And what I say is step one is imagine the results you want to see first. And that is where people struggle the most. They think it's a waste of time. They feel like, oh, well, I'm going to sit here and talk about things that I can't guarantee will happen. And I'm like, if you can't imagine it, it you cannot create it. So imagine it first. And then, yes, this is where I'd say it's not about optimism or pessimism. It's about realism. Like, what is it that you want? And then let's talk about how to make that a reality. And first step is assess your current reality. But that means being able to look at based on what you want, not just how you feel in this moment, but based on what you want in your current reality, what's working in your favor, because I guarantee you that there's something that's working in your favor and what's working against you. Then between the future and the assessing the reality, the current state, this is where you get creative as to how will I close the gap? And that's where you put your plan. But what most people do is they assess their current state. They overemphasize what's working against them. Right. And then they go, they either, one, don't do anything after that because they've just been so overwhelmed by how crappy things are. Or they focus on putting a fire out, a fire that may or may not even matter. So, like, if people are like, oh, well, the fuel costs, you can't possibly drive, like, well, gas is so, I'm just not going to do it. I'm like, well, 
you were, what was your game plan? Like, did we're, how far were you trying to go? And was gas even part of the equation? Like you're focused on a problem that may not even be relevant to what you want to do, but because it's the thing that most people are talking about right now, you're obsessing about it. Well, that's fascinating too. Is there a part of that analogy that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm seeing this all over the place where people are starting to protect themselves in this analogy by hoarding the resources they think they're going to need to get to that destination. I still have that destination somewhere in the back of my mind. I'm not sure where in New York. Is it New York State? Is it New York City? Whatever. I'll figure that out later. But I know I need a car. Maybe I need two cars. And then I need like a whole, I need to have a garage full of uh, gas, gallon gas tanks just in case, uh, you know, I run out of gas. And then also some spare tires, 40 spare tires. And people start like, from a safety perspective, from a scarcity complex, um, hoarding resources around them that they think they're going to need, that can show up looking like, I need this title at this company to protect me against layoffs, or I need uh, to be making this particular amount of money so that if uh, it goes away in one month, I've got like, you know, at least a month's worth of protection. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, it's not, it's, it's a fear. It, you're operating, you're making decisions from fear. And so, you know, look, the people who are going and, 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 and I'm not judging them either because I know what it's like to feel panicked. And, and so the people who are hoarding the toilet paper, hoarding the water or whatever, you know, that honestly, a lot of that started, um, and my, and my, my boyfriend works in delivery and grocery stores and a lot of the poorer areas, you saw people starting to do that. And, you know, people are kind of like, that's ridiculous. Like, but you may not have ever experienced what it's like to go without those items. And yeah. they, they have. And so it's, it, but it goes to that fear of, I don't want to suffer the way I have in the past when something uncertain happened. So we all went to some level of hoarding when this became uncertain. You may not have hoarded supplies because maybe in your life, that's not what's been taken from you. You may have hoarded time. You may have hoarded um, you know, uh, energy towards other things. You may have hoarded, you know, the, the, the meeting times with certain people. Cause you know, if I'm not talking to so-and-so then, then, then how am I going to make sure that I have job security? We all went to some level of hoarding. It's just, you hoard the thing, your fear, you're not going to have enough of. It is absolutely a, a, you know, a lack of abundance that we're thinking of. And we go back to the thing that we've lost in the past. So I don't judge the people that hoarded supplies because they were just doing a physical manifestation of maybe me hoarding um, the stuff that I was doing. And I'm trying to think of like what my, my, yeah, I went straight to where's the money supply. Cause I've been in situations where I grew up, where I was told there's no money, there's no money, there's no money. And so I, I go to that and go, okay, oh my gosh. And I always have to watch myself. I'm like, that's the worst way for me to engage in my work. And I have to pull myself back and go, I'm operating from fear. I will make reactive decisions that'll most likely not bode well for me. So if I was not afraid, what would I do in this moment? And that is that is the discipline of when you say, can you is are you born with it or can you train it? You can absolutely train your mind that frontal lobe, the more you are willing to stop and ask yourself those types of questions. And believe that asking those questions will help you get a clearer state of what you want to do versus what your panic is asking you to do. That makes sense. So when we're looking at like ways that we can actually train our brains and engage that frontal lobe, uh, what specifically can we be doing in the current climate that we find ourselves in of so much uncertainty uh, to to really specifically hone resilience and resourcefulness. We take that five minutes a day to really plot our course for where are we actually headed. What are some other ways that we can train those frontal lobes and get those frontal lobes in uh, in summer body? (laughs) (laughs) My summer mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, so first of all, it's getting, it's taking the time and really not overestimating how good you are at this, because I find that most people struggle with spending more than two seconds on what they want. And then they will diverge to all the things that are in the way or all the things they should start doing. I'm like, no, 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 spend, give me 30 minutes where all you're talking about is what you want. And what it tells me is they don't have a lot of details to really color in what they want because they haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. And it's exhausting 
when you don't have readily available information, but you have a ton of information of the stuff you're afraid of and the tactical steps you want to take. And so, but if you ask a kid what they want, they'll talk for hours and they could, you know, and I want it to be green and I would love the sleeve to have this. Like they'll go into detail because they spend more time imagining. So I'd say one, start to work out your brain at actually imagining what you want and writing it down with a pen so that it, it increases how much it retains in your brain. And then from there, looking at your week and going, what about this week am I doing to support what I want to do? And what are the things that may pull me away from that? How do I want to manage that? And if your first response is, well, I can't control that, Heather, because my boss is going to be asking for this, or my family is asking, or my kid is too, and I can't, then you're coming at it the wrong way. If you go, no, no, I want to feed my child, not my child needs to be fed. No, I mm. want to be the kind of parent that feeds my child. So that is a priority to me. How do I how do I fit that into my other priorities and align that with what I ultimately want? The my boss wants this for me, blah, blah, blah. I want to be good at my job. So how do I align that with what this other want is? Maybe by this time next year, you want to be in a position where you have more financial freedom to spend time with your family. I'm making something up. Mm -hmm. So I want more financial freedom to be able to spend more time with my family and enjoy that time. But then I, I, then I would look at, okay, then how do I, one, how much of that is actually happening right now? I had the, the financial freedom to order food in. I had the financial freedom to, you know, have sandwiches. Like it's, it's this, you know, I have the, the, you know, where else is freedom showing up for you? You know what? Yeah. My manager is emailing me five times a day, but technically look how many hours I have free. Um, so it's, it's finding what that essence is, seeing where it's happening today, being, this is where that gratitude kind of stuff comes into play is being grateful for what's, what's already there. And not from a, you know, I'm not saying that there's not a magical entity to it. What I'm saying is you're teaching the brain that it's there. It'll go looking for more. And, and for me, it's all about how are you teaching your brain to work on your behalf versus what feels like it's working against you, but it's actually doing what you're asking it to do. You're saying the world is scary and it's going, yeah, look how scary it is. Or you're saying the world works in your favor and then it goes, yeah, look how that worked out in your favor. Because we're trained to recognize patterns. And if you train the pattern recognition of look what look at all these scary things that are stacked against me, that is where you're training your focus and your energy and our brains are amazing and we'll go down that path. And if we retrain to look at look at all of these resources, look at all of these opportunities, look what I get to do versus what I have to do. It will be trained to we're training ourselves to recognize those patterns instead. Yes. And I I I love that you're calling that out that it's the pattern. And my my thing is because there's probably some people who go, okay, well that feels a little sugarcoated. And I honestly I think <laughs> of my brother who's very much that skeptic. And like we were talking um, at the be you know, towards the beginning of all this, probably around, uh, it was probably around April. It was it, near his birthday. And I was, you know, look, this is what I think. I think eventually the, the, the human, whether you like it or not, humans are going to want to get back to what they feel like is normal. And we're probably going to push towards that faster than what maybe the science is asking for. And, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the best thing, but I also think that's, that's what's going to happen. Let's embrace the reality of where humans tend to go, especially Americans who there is a level of we don't, positive or negative, we don't like being told what to do. Our whole country is built on the spirit of freedom, uh, whereas we're comparing ourselves to other countries who were built with a, uh, a society where the government does tell you what to do and you listen. So bad or good, I'm not here to critique um, countries and their politics, but I'm just saying, be aware of, this is where I say, embrace reality of what's presenting. You can bitch about it all you want to, but that is the reality of what we're choosing to live in. I didn't choose to live in China or other countries where government is more dominant. So I can't sit here and be like, oh, the free spirited Americans, I'm so angry at them. Like, no, that's, that's what I choose to live in. And he went to, there's going to be riots and people are going to set fire to things. I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying that that's not possible. Um, I just, how is that helping you by talking about that and focusing? Are you going to go put riot gear on and, and, and start to train police on how to prevent riots? Like what, how does that help you? And this is probably the key thing I go to focus on whatever information, negative or positive, however you want to label it, that helps you make your decisions that you need to make. And 
that's where I'd say, like, look, if you're in the, I want, I want to be in the business of people keeping pe- people physically safe, then pay attention to the data that tells you that there's going to be riots or pay attention to the data about uh, how many people are dying because you want to go out there and make a difference into how many people are dying. But if you, like myself, I have nothing to do. I am not gifted in any way to work in the healthcare field. I wish I was. It's going to be a huge career uh, boom. Uh, let me just, it's already been a cute, huge career boom. It's absolutely going to explode after this. Um, and so in terms of going to where supply and demand is, I'd love to go into the healthcare field. All, the most I can do is coach the people in the healthcare field. I could not be on the front lines of it. I'm not wired for it. I never have been. Um, so to me getting really spiraled around a whole lot, I'm like what I tend to focus on is how can I learn more and more about what's happening in workplaces, what's happening, because that's the area that I make decisions around. That's the stuff that I help people around. And I don't ignore the health information that I need to take into consideration as an individual, but I am not coming through all the different health reports and knowing all the statistics because I won't do anything with that other than let it freak me out. Right. Which isn't to say that you're trying to be ignorant uh, to the reality. You're finding the spaces in our current environment that apply to where you can be resourceful and where you can add value and find opportunities to improve your situation and the situation at large. Yeah. And like I said, I go back to that's my litmus test. Will I be making a decision around this? So if they're talking about whether or not it's better to wear a mask or not a mask, that's a decision I need to make for myself. I will listen to that. I will take in information for that. If they're saying, you know, what uh, Switzerland's doing in terms of their healthcare, I may not, unless I see it connected to, well, I'm still trying to figure out what's important to workplaces and what's not, because workplace is my focus. If I was a police officer, I'd be looking at, okay, how are people, communities being kept safe? If I was, um, you know, a I don't know, a pilot, I'd be looking at what's impacting travel and airlines, you know, all those types of things. It's, but I go back to, is it helping you make a decision? If it's causing you just to fester where you're at, it's crappy data for you. Hmm. Well, that brings me to my last question uh, that really ties back into the pyramid of purpose and getting clear on why you are waking up and going through the motions every day. How does the pyramid of purpose lay a foundation uh, to be more resilient and resourceful? I think it, it, what I love about it is, um, I mean, look, it's just a model that I have that I help people kind of get clear as to what their purpose is and everything else is a brick and where do you want to put your brick and prioritize things. So money, family, job, um, all those things are bricks. And, you know, where, where do they need to be in terms of how much time and investment do you want to put into them? And it helps you prioritize your life. And to your point of getting up every day in the morning is um, this situation as all encompassing as it, as it is felt, it is still temporary and your purpose shouldn't just be completely thrown out of the water. It either your purpose matters even more today than it ever has, or your purpose is, wow, I'm trying to sail to Australia and now this huge storms kicked in. This is completely in the way how do I make sure I navigate this storm to get to Australia versus, oh, there's a storm. And now all my life is about surviving a storm that I resent, that I hate, that I wish wasn't happening. <laughs> then I start to lose like, my, uh, you know, as much as I'm honestly, it starts to, and I don't want to, you know, play too light about it, but that's what starts to lead to depression and, and not clinical depression where this is something about a chemical balance, but just that, that depressive kind of reaction to feeling helpless and unable to do anything because the reality is, is you're not actually looking to do anything other than survive crap coming at you. You're not going to get inspired, but with, when you get clear and I, everybody has a purpose, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be altruistic. You know, I I'd say, we've talked about this before. You know, some people are like, I just want to see the world and travel, or I want to enjoy the joy life. I don't want to get caught up in drama, whatever that is, or I want to be a good parent or whatever. Most likely this situation and, and how we're having to kind of work through a lot of challenges hasn't changed your purpose, even for an organization. And think about education. Look, the purpose of any educational institute was supposed to be uh, to, you know, elevate the, the, the intelligence of whatever community they're supporting, right? Now, and they've probably got all kinds of different ways of wording their mission statement, but it all kind of lines up to that. And there's been some schools that have been so, if they were really focused on that purpose, they would have modernized their approach to education 
a mm. long time ago. Um, they wouldn't have been set up to where now there's a lot of universities where the majority of the ways that they make their money is off of people being, you know, living on campus. Right. I'm like, but if you're, if you had not lost sight, there's nothing wrong with making money. But if that money was in service of elevating the education, you would have been in distance learning years ago. That's a fascinating point. Well, that, that comes up in the work I'm currently doing too. I'm, I'm in the culture space currently. Um, and a part of that is reemphasizing during this difficult time, this is for organizations as well as, as people, if your values and the culture that you've aligned yourself with isn't important now, then I, I argue that it's not, it has never been important. This is when it counts. Agreed. A hundred percent. Like this idea that you just, you're only nice to people and treat them well when you're not stressed. Mm. Um, look, I'm going to badly quote lots of people today. So what is it? I, it's <laughs> Maya Angelou's, I think Maya Angelou says always judge people uh, based off of uh, how they behave when they lost their luggage or whatever. Um, oh, cute. I, I've got to, I got to look that up, but I, cause I've had my luggage lost before and I'm like, what would Maya think about your reaction, Heather? <laughs> but I, I, it is this idea of like when if you if you take license to be a jackass to people because you don't feel good inside, and I've seen this in so many levels. Is this, and I've seen people say, literally, they'll have the excuse, uh, "My mom passed away, so guess what? I get to be an asshole to you. Uh, I lost my job, I get to be an asshole to you." Um, you know, my boss is breathing down my neck, so I get to be an asshole to my spouse. Whatever it is. We take it, we, we, we as humans are very quick to use our pain as an excuse to reflect that pain on other people. And every culture's values is a little, is, is all the fancy way of saying, we're not going to be assholes to each other. Like however you want to lay it out and like, you know, we believe in collaboration, we believe in innovation, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to be assholes to each other. We're going to focus on good stuff. That's really what all those values. And I'm all about setting up values so that people have a language to use with each other. So I'm not. I, I think what you're doing is is very important work, critical work. Um, it does boil down to let's not be assholes to each other. Sure. And it's so critical now because this is a time where talk about when people need compassion and caring the most. And if 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 anyone was to call out a cultural value, and if they could just put on there like all the stuff, like we, we believe in collaboration, we believe in you know the the uh, you know the innovative spirit pioneering spirit, whatever they put down. And on the bottom with a little asterisk, don't be assholes to anyone, including yourself. Cause then it's like, the more you're an asshole to yourself, the more you're saying you won't survive this, you're stupid, you're not capable, the bigger asshole you are to other people. And this is where the, if you can't love yourself, it's really hard to be kind and compassionate to other people when you're stressed. So I don't know if you can get that passed and you're like, you know, get that as a footnote on your cultural call, posters or whatever. But uh... I mean, I can start putting it in eight point font and see if anybody catches up on <laughs> see, it. See if anybody notices. But don't be an asshole to anyone, including yourself. But it's 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 because honestly, the, think about it. You have to be an asshole to yourself first and sit there. And I'm going back to how I was in in February where I immediately went to oh my gosh, and you, you should have seen this and you should have done this and you should have, should have, should have. And I was shooting all over myself again. Oh. And then it was like, <laughs> and then from there, I was crankier with, with um, everybody in my house. And then I was, I was defensive with people who, who was, you know, and they may not have noticed it because I got, got out in front of it pretty fast. Um, well, no, let's say the people at my house noticed it, but <laughs> my house didn't notice it because I got out in front of it pretty fast. And, you know, bless, bless the people in my home that were like, you know, helping me kind of get over that. But um, I had a good two days. But I, but I say I had a good two days because in my life I've gone through years of being this way with myself. And so I was like, no, 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 we're not going to use this as an excuse to just shit all over myself. So then I make the situation worse. And what I find is people's first reaction is either to shit all over themselves or throw it on other people. And, and either way though, you're not being your best if you can't be kind to yourself. And that's where I'd say with this resilience and, and, you know, can we train ourselves? Are we born? Is there no child is born hating themselves? Like that's not how we walked in and I'm neurotic. So, and I have memories back to being like four years old. So if, if I, re if I can't remember disliking myself until someone taught me to dislike myself, then I'm just, I'm hard pressed to believe that someone got into this world and was like, Oh, am, really? I got these kind of legs. Like, Oh, come on. <laughs> we learned like, that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how you're going to gurgle and spit kid. Come on. You know, like, <laughs> no, we learned that. And so we can unlearn it.
if I can put in for a quick plug, I know this is, a, I know you won't do this, so I want to do it on your behalf. Um, I found your book. I just happened to stumble upon your book uh, a couple <laughs> of years ago. Uh, Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius at a time where I was coming out of uh, employee space and employee mentality and going back into consulting. And that was a tumultuous, anxious time on a personal level in my life. And the book outlines a lot of excellent strategies and ways that you can start retraining your brain to think and recognize patterns that are going to lead you in this direction of uh, resilience, resourcefulness, growth mentality, abundance mentality, and kind of really get clear about where you're going to make all these other puzzle pieces uh, fit in line. So if you are experiencing right now uh, the opportunity to shift focus, to shift direction, and to really hone in on what you are going to do next to your greater purpose, I cannot recommend enough picking up Heather's book, wherever fine books are sold. Well, and you know what? I will say, because this is actually one of the few times that I, because I, you know, look, I didn't write the book as like, oh, this is going to be my money making gem. I wrote the book because when I got out of the military and I was trying to figure out how to get a job and I didn't come from a family who knew how to write a resume or was working in corporate America. And I remember just being in the sheer panic of how do I get myself a job, which I see a lot of veterans uh, go through. But, it, you know, regardless, there's people who right now are facing the you know, how do I create work for myself or my industry's go, you know, been hit hard. How do I move to the next thing? So I wrote the book that, because I wrote all the things that I finally figured out on, in terms of what works to keep, you know, your career running like a business and how do you treat it like a business? And it is written to help people. And it is written as a book because I get not everybody can afford to pay for, you know, me as a professional coach, because that is how we make my living. But the book is what, like 10 bucks on a Kindle or 20 something bucks on, you know, say Amazon or wherever, I think it's on Apple books or whatever. Um, and so the book is something that's, that's easier. This podcast is free. Uh, I've got a column in Forbes that you can go find my columns for free. Um, so all that's available. If you're like Heather, I really want the book and this is how tight my life is. $10 actually does matter. And that's, that's the food I have for the week, which by the way, I've had $10 a week budgeted for food and that's all I had. So I get it. Then you know what? find me on LinkedIn and say, that's how broke my ass is. I can't afford your book. I will send you a free copy. And I no judgment because I absolutely get like being that broke that every penny is a penny lost. But I think most people who are in this situation, um, you know, what I would, what I would just emphasize is be resourceful, get information that helps you. If you, if you get the book and you're like, it didn't help me email me, I will make sure that, that you have the information you need to help you. But it does talk about how do you get clear about purpose? First and foremost, how do you start looking at your resume as a marketing piece versus a history lesson? How do you start to build your book of business? Meaning getting people to want to pay you for the work that you do. It's not a, it's not a quick fix all, but it gives you a framework to operate from where right now the job market feels really murky. And so that's, that's, if there's, you know, I wrote the book a couple of years ago to really just help people that couldn't afford me as a coach. And now I think there's a time for this to, to really be there. Like I said, I'm not looking to sell books, get the cheapest version you can possibly get. Email me if you want a free copy, because right now the money's not too tight. I don't care, but I want people to not, I feel like I know that that's sometimes the worst fear of how do I get a livelihood? How do I make sure I can pay for things and my, my, or how do I know what I'm doing with my career is really setting me up for, for what I'm meant to do. Um, I'm passionate about it. I'm, pa I'm more than willing to help someone who's passionate about it. Um, so yeah. Heather wants to help you. Yeah, Heather and wants to help you. Help me <laughs> help you. Help me which help you. Which is a you. correct quote from Jerry Maguire. We got from, there. That's yeah. a 100% verified correct quote. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, help us help you. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or a story you want to share that has something to do with uh, your experience with resilience, uh, resourcefulness, your pyramid of purpose, or anything else you've heard us talk about on the show. If you want to hear us discuss something new that's on your mind, um, or if you just want to tell us what you think, tweet us at LMTP Consulting. Message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, 
or email us lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you guys so much. It, it is uncertain times. There are so many opportunities out there to retrain our focus and retrain our brain uh, to look for the positive patterns. Thank you guys for joining us uh, episode after episode, month after month, and we look forward to hearing from you and, and continuing to help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.